The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. When do we go? As soon as everyone's in position. It will be a glorious battle. But a costly one. The Dominion is beaten and they know it. But they're going to make us pay for every kilometer of the planet. The Federation fleet has surrounded the planet. I want you to contact the Jem'Hadar and the Breen. And you order their ships to stand down. And order the troops on Cardassia to do the same. I will do no such thing. This war's over. You lost. Have I? I think you'll find that neither the Jem'Hadar or the Breen will agree with that assessment. They will fight to the last man. And what will that accomplish? Isn't it obvious? You may win this war, Commander. But I promise you, when it is over, you will have lost so many ships, so many lives, that your victory will taste as bitter as defeat. Welcome everyone, it is Thursday, February 22nd, 2018. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Paul McKeever. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Well, Paul, as you know, two weeks ago, I took a look at the alarming developments in Ontario's political scene. In anticipation of the upcoming June 7th, 2018 election, in which both you and I will be participating, at least in some way, as representatives of the Freedom Party of Ontario. So I guess we should be straight up about that right from the beginning, right? Yes, I'm the leader of the party. And I'm the president, and certainly involved in the party. But you know, i got to tell you, only two weeks ago, there was no way to predict the the outrageous specifics that ended up fulfilling all the predictions that I made in that show. (laughs) You know, I I heard one radio commentator last week say, the only thing that could make the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party drama any more interesting and beyond the true farce it already is, was for pirates to attack. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. One wonders if they have. I tell you, truth is becoming more farcical than fiction. That's right. Isn't that how the saying goes? I was just going to say that I was uh, talking to one of our friends today, and uh, they were talking about, you know, uh, what how how strange and strange this whole PC situation has become with five people running to uh, replace the leader, and one of the five is himself. So uh, I said, you know, uh, who needs comedy when political life is already a joke? Before we get our larger conversation underway, don't forget to write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, all of our past broadcasts. You know, Bob, I I think with the election approaching, and it's about three and a half, four months away, uh, everybody's got this feeling like we've been saddled with 15 years of Governing, governance by the liberals, and uh, you hear the word alternative. People want an sure alternative do. to the liberals. But the thing is, how can you know what an alternative is if you really don't even know what it means to be a liberal, what it is that the liberals have done to us over the last 15 years? And I thought it might be useful sort of to, to consider that first before discussing well, anything about 
What's an alternative to that? That's certainly a, dis- a discussion one never hears. And I always seem, and I've been in this for years and years, that I hear all these political discussions discussed in a complete vacuum where no one really knows the identity of what party is what and what they stand for and what they will do or won't do when they get elected. And I think this is the one place, as I mentioned earlier, where the idea of identity politics actually applies and applies properly, and that's to political parties. What do you think? Well, that's right. Yeah, it's a nice spin on the term and probably the more appropriate one. Well, I mean, to get things started on this examination of what the liberals are, you know, you can think of them, first of all, as as governing for the last 15 years, governing the province into the ground. We, at this point, although technically we had a balanced budget, it was only because they did a fire sale of a lot of provincial assets. And perhaps we're not exactly honest with the books, uh, the auditors disagreeing with them in the way they're doing their, their budgeting. But oh, yeah. I mean, you've got a revolution really that's occurred over the last 15 years. And in particular, since Kathleen Wynne has took, taken over the Liberal Party and become Premier. She said from her out, from right from the outset in 2014, I think it was 2014, 2013, that she was going to govern from the, quote, activist centre. Well, you can forget the centre. She's governing from the activist left. And, you know, everything, the worst of everything we're seeing right now socially, the identity politics, uh, politics as it's traditionally, you know, understood, putting everybody into cubby holes, putting one group against the other. I mean... Women are pitted against men. Femininity is pitted against toxic, quote-unquote, masculinity. You're either a white or you're a member of the black community. And, you know, everything you earn is just, well, it must have been a ripoff. It it, it, it has to be a matter of privilege. That's the only reason you have any more than anyone else. I have so to tell this... you, Paul, uh, in all my years of being in politics, I never thought things would get so bad in Ontario. These are the kinds of things I used to hear my parents talk about in pre-war and during the war era in Europe. I think it's, yeah, exactly the same. It's that Weimar Republic, you know, and and the the resentment of those who have more and the the disbelief that they could have possibly earned it. I mean, it goes beyond that too. I mean, think of the way they treat values now. You can't say that anything's better or worse. That's treated as somehow uh, a wrongful thing to do, believe it or not, even though they don't really believe in right and wrong. And you're supposed to not just say that something's uh, better or worse. You're supposed to say that it's different. And if you do think that something's, even to say it's different is only one's opinion. Like There is no right and wrong, no facts. They don't want there to be facts except the ones that the government lays down as gospel. You know, yeah. so there there is no, you know, uh, problem with Islam. It's all Islamophobia and that kind of thing. I mean, at, at, and it's to the point now where, and pe- some people will have followed this in Ontario, uh, we have a professor here, uh, Professor Peterson, a psychology professor at University of Toronto, who is, you know, close, worried about being criminalized for having refused to use gender-specific pronouns that people have chosen and made up for themselves. So instead of calling a person Mr. or Miss or Mrs., they w- would want something else like Z or Zer or what have you. And he said, look, I don't know what gender you think you are and I have no way of knowing so how could you possibly punish me for not using your chosen pronoun it's ridiculous but that's the way this government's going they want you know when you've spoken about this on the on the show before this um, yeah the, the idea that reality doesn't matter that what's in a person's mind whatever they fantasize about is actually going to trump the evidence of your senses you know and we, we've got a point now, too, where the reason we're even having this, uh, um, you know, this thing with the, with the progressive conservatives is because there's absolutely no due process. They're at war 
with the with the justice system. They want things played out in the media. They think it's a way to get around things like, oh, evidence and burdens of proof so that they can justify just about any kind of penalty against anybody. It's a really, really bad time for everyone, male, female, you name it. It's a very dangerous time. And it's all thanks, I think, to this, uh, it's not exclusively liberal and it's not exclusively Ontario, but clearly the liberals in Ontario are, you know, championing the worst that the world currently is uh, trying to offer on the left. That's an interesting observation that it seems to be a global trend, which again would suggest that some kind of ideology is at play. Well, I think it is. And it's, you know, politically, we would call it collectivism. But, you know, uh, on the sort of uh, ethical level, we just call it uh, altruism. In other words, the belief that you're not here to pursue your own life and your own happiness. You're here to take care of your brother, you know, your brother's keeper. That's your job, even if it hurts, even if you suffer and, and, and die. They, they, they regard that as the ultimate good, right? Let's hand out a badge for the guy who killed himself to save others. Not necessarily people he knew or valued, but just because, well, he's a hero for dying instead of this other person. That's the ultimate good. And of course, the model is there, there from Christianity, from, from Islam, from, uh, well, various religions, almost all of them taking that sort of altruistic bent. And so, isn't it, what, more, isn't it more the sacrifice of the individual to the collective that they regard as as that exact, act of altruism? Exactly, because the yeah. individual really doesn't exist in their system. They're, we're all just cells in a greater being called society or the public or what have you. And the liberals in in Ontario and most of the parties who ever governed this province regard themselves as the people who will lead that collective body and in, in its whatever direction they want to lead it they're they're there to govern that whole collective and you see it you know in, with like for example this climate change stuff okay the climate changes yeah of course it changes it's been changing forever it's it's it gets colder it gets warmer etc over long periods of time but here they are imposing uh, taxes on all of us making us feel guilty about future generations we owe it to future generations they say to sacrifice now to fight climate change, but they haven't got any technology to do that. There is not a single piece of technology anywhere on earth that would allow man to, you know, change the weather, never mind the climate. I mean, they can't even predict the weather, yet they're basing this catastrophe and the, the, the imminent um, catastrophe on, on models that they think well, I, I, somehow you know, will predict th- hundreds, and year, hundreds of years of climate change. I had a thought today for the first time about this issue, Paul. Yeah. And it seems to me that anyone who says they're going to fight climate change is ipso facto attaching themselves to a losing cause and a losing issue, since we all know that no matter what we did to fight climate change, we wouldn't be affecting the greater climate change. It's going to change anyway. When the sun decides to do its thing, no matter what we're doing here, is going to happen, right? right. Absolutely. And, and with everything in nature, with the things that we've been hearing from all the people who've appeared on this show that have nothing to do, certainly, with anything based in carbon, for heaven's sakes, that's ridiculous. You'd almost think either you're dealing with people who are actually believe what they, what this, this fantasy that you can fight climate, or they've got to be the most evil people in the world. I think it's the latter. I, don't, I mean, I don't think they're so stupid that they can't figure out that we don't have a climate-changing machine. Uh, I think they know that. I think they're they're working with the idea that if people are frightened enough, they will give away the farm, uh, you know, 
and they'll feel guilty if they don't, because you'll talk about the future generations and what have you, as though everybody's going to be living on a burnt-up uh, charcoal briquette of, a, of an earth if we don't uh, hand over all our cash to the government right now. And you see this too. I mean, the Liberals, what have they done over the last several years? In the name of climate change, but what was really the result of mismanagement of the electrical grid, they've, they've given us... Yeah you know, solar and wind and et cetera. And they're charging us this global adjustment on the uh, on our bills to pay for all of that stuff. No one even knows what this global adjustment is, but that's what it is to pay above market prices to these companies so that they would build wind and solar and gas plants because nobody wanted to build here anymore. They'd scared them all away with, with uh, price controls, you know. And in our schools, what do we see in our schools? Same kind of thing. They're trying to discourage independent thought. They're trying to get... Uh, children not to be independent thinkers, but people who just listen to what the government has to say and and spit it back out. They don't want them to read, so what do they do? They give them, instead of phonics, you know, it's, it's a whole language. I mean, a whole, or, la- whole language. I, that was a huge, huge issue for me for many years. And the principle continues to play in all of our educational systems, but they keep changing the definition of that way of thinking and teaching. And right. that just speaks to the power of language and epistemology. Um, even when we called it whole language, it had already gone through many uh, reincarnations of various names that even Isabel Patterson wrote about way back in the 1930s, right? Yeah. It was the same thing, moving from the Arabic system of letters and filing and thinking to everything more uh, holistic, you know, picture graphic. She called it our Japanized education system. At right, in reference, to, in reference to kanji and that kind of stuff. Yes. Well, and, 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 you know, it's not just, I mean, it, it's almost as though, and I think it is the case, that they are trying to have teachers that don't instruct. I mean, we've got experiential learning. So my son comes home. That's, from a, that's the we, essence of it. That's the essence of it. Right, right. You know, you've got a physics project. What's the physics project? Build a trebuchet. And you think, finally, they're doing some engineering with their physics knowledge. That's a good application. Sure, it takes a lot of work, but at least they'll learn something. That's I can deal with that kind of experience. But when the experience also includes, hey, and by the way, if you paint it with blues clues or make it creative, put, put uh, you know, um, ribbons and bows on it, you'll get a mark. Wait, this is a physics class, not an art class. And so what they're doing is they're giving themselves ways to give someone who didn't really catch on to the lesson uh, some grades because, well, it doesn't work, but at least it's pink and polka dotted and it looks really nice. Just ridiculous standards for for, uh, grading so that they don't have to, you know, deal with the fact that kids aren't learning. Even outside of our schools and those institutions, et cetera, think of what they're, what they're coming through with on this. The federal government right now, I don't know if everybody in your audience knows this, but the federal government in Canada is going to legalize the recreational use of cannabis. But you'd never know it because it seems like all that's happening is that organized crime, in other words, the kind of people who currently grow and distribute and et cetera, uh, cannabis, is going to be be replaced with a government monopoly. So all that we're really doing is saying, well, the the government is going to be the new Al Capone. And so the prices are going to be dictated by the government. The stores, the only place you're going to be able to buy them is in stores uh, operated by the government. The only place you're going to be able to smoke the stuff is in your own living room. Ridiculous. It's the same old, same old. And at the same time, Bob, it would be, you know, I'd, I'd be loath to not mention that this is the same party, well, actually, it's all of the parties that are currently holding seats in the legislature, who have voted themselves uh, a, what is it, $10 per ballot. So every ballot that gets cast uh, in favor of their party, they get 10 bucks out of the government treasury. Just brutal. Just brutal. 
And it's time to do what we know is right, right now, as those young people in the video said. Um, I, I often think about this in terms of uh, being a grandmother. Um, I only need to imagine my three grandbabies' fa uh, failure to understand what's at stake um, if they ask me, what did you do, Grandma? What did you do when you were Premier of Ontario? Did you do everything you could do? Or did you step back and not take the action that you should have? And I just, I can't abide them growing up and asking why our generation failed them. That, that is an abdication of responsibility that I'm not prepared to take on. Because by and large, we know what's required of us. It comes down to the choice that we make. Will we take climate change seriously and commit ourselves to the measures required to fight it? The so-called liberals are trying to put socialism over by stealth without letting the country realize what road they are taking to what ultimate goal. And while such a policy is reprehensible, there is something much more reprehensible. The policy of the so-called conservatives who are trying to defend freedom by stealth. We can't spend on everything. We have to do a line-by-line line analysis. That being said, healthcare, I don't want to touch. I know um, the spending will always continue. We have an aging population. And, you know, as a Christian, as you brought up before, you know, I do believe in that, that adage, I am my brother's keeper. So we have to, have to help those who are most in need. Well, Bob, what we heard there at the beginning of the bumper was um, the Premier of Ontario, Kathleen Wynne, and her overtures to, uh, you know, sacrificing of yourself for your fellow man and what we heard on the way back was one of the uh, candidates for the pc leadership which is currently underway uh, although she's hardly unique uh, her, this quote that we heard where she said she, you know she's uh, her brother's keeper was just so clearly um, to the point i mean I, I all of the people on that stage i think would agree uh, and all of them are being progressive conservatives you know big p on the progressive part they have the same moral code as the liberals. And you know, it's for that reason that ultimately they cannot be politically, because everything morally determines what you're going to be politically, they cannot be an alternative to the liberals. If you were to vote for them, you would not end up with any fundamental difference, not at, even at a superficial the, difference. You know, at the same time, I think most people, when they hear that we should be our brother's keeper would agree, regardless of whether they're re religious or not. A and I think the key thing to bear in mind here is that, that it's one thing to say that, because especially if it's about someone you care, but what we're talking about here is being your brother's keeper at the point of a gun. Yeah, there's a big difference between theft on the one hand and charity on the other. Um, absolutely, you can, it has yeah. effects. Absolutely. Charity, that's absolutely fine. You know, if you choose to give money to the poor, to the sick, to the lame, to your brother, to your neighbor, all of that, nothing wrong with that at all. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is when a government says that money's not yours, it belongs to your neighbor. And your neighbor might need it to, I don't know, buy a sky dome or anything. And it comes at the cost of your loved ones. It comes at the cost. You might not be able to heat your house or, or buy food for your family because of some tax that the government wanted to impose on you to pay off some crony who's who's got a wind farm somewhere, probably an ex-liberal uh, functionary. So it's really just socialism. That's what it is at the political level. And uh, it's, a, it's a way of thinking about people as nothing more than parts of a big machine. It's not Christianity as anyone would understand it. 
And I think that's what people have to remember when we're talking about this, that when we're talking about altruism in government, we're talking about point of the gun, not charity. It can't be altruism as soon as it turns into anything government. That's why, that's why you have to have, even separate religion and politics. Look what happens when religion combines with force. It becomes a theocracy. Right? Absolutely. And it's the same process where when altruism combines with force, it becomes the welfare state, which is destructive to all Western values. I think that's at the root of this, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and you know, the interesting thing, I mean, this, it's, it's actu- actually interesting because we're talking about the progressive conservatives here to, to keep in mind where that party came from. I mean, I mean originally... Uh, in Canada, we had what was called the Chateau Clique in, in what's now Quebec. Uh, we had the Family Compact here in, in what's now Ontario. It used to be a Lower Canada and Upper Canada, respectively. And really, I don't think anything changes. If you look back at what the Ontario Liberal Party and the Ontario Progressive Conservative Parties were for many, many years, you'll recall that, I mean, the Progressive Conservatives had a lock on the uh, governing, governance of this province until 19, was it 85? And, uh, yeah, and and why? Well, because up until that point, Ontario was, the majority of people living in Ontario were, they were light-skinned, you know, white, so-called, Anglo-Saxons and Protestants. Yeah, it's it's your WASP party. Yeah, it was a WASP party. The, the, The whole purpose of the Progressive Conservative Party was to make sure that it resisted at all times immigration, the French, and the Catholic. That's what they were trying to keep out of Ontario and make sure, I mean, you could never get to be a police officer or at least not very high up the ranks as a police officer if you were French or Catholic, et cetera. Those were jobs reserved to the... You know, you bring up a very interesting observation because this fits into something else that happened right about that time, and that was Bill Davis expanding state education funding for the faith-based sector of the Catholic school system that was still not funded at that time, the senior grades. I remember that. That's right. And in fact, that was that was right before the election, uh, and that was the election they lost. So in other words, they turned their back on, the, on their purpose, which was to keep Ontario white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. And as a result, uh, I don't think that many of their members came out to vote, not as many as should have. If they wanted to win, now at the same time, what was the what was the Liberal Party? Well, the Liberal Party was everything else. It was the party that was pro-immigration. It was the party that was uh, largely Catholic. It was the party that was um, you know didn't didn't really care about the color of your skin. And so, uh, by the time 1985 rolled around, and you'll recall this is several years after Pierre Trudeau had uh, changed immigration, such that people were coming from a lot. You weren't just coming in from you know Italy, Germany, and England anymore. You were coming in from all over the world, much more cosmopolitan Canada. And I think the demographics changed at that point, mid 80s. The the PCs kind of lost their purpose. They could no longer govern. They could no longer count on a majority to vote according to white Anglo-Saxon Protestantism and all the bigotry in, involved in that. And that's why they were in the wilderness largely until. Uh, 1995. They were 10 years in the wilderness. They, they, they got this reputation for being right-wing, quote-unquote, because in the, I think it was 1993, the PCs federally fell to the Reform Party and the Bloc Québécois. 
And uh, why was that? Well, because the the books in Canada, the balance, the balancing of the books needed to happen. We were under a lot of scrutiny internationally for our debt situation. And it was feared at the Ontario provincial level by the PCs that if they didn't sort of take a more serious stand in favor of balancing the budget, some other party would come along and, and uh, scoop them on the right. And in fact, they did register, one of their members registered Reform Party of Ontario, but only so that that name couldn't be used to compete with the PC party in Ontario. They didn't run any candidates. So, you know, you run with uh, Mike Harris and his common sense revolution for one term. He, he ran a second time and then he quit. And by that time, the Reform Party had fizzled. It was gone federally. It no longer posed a, a, a threat provincially. And the PC said, ah, we can breathe now and return to being the socialists we've always been. We'll put Ernie Eves in. And you've quoted many times the conversation I had with Ernie Eves on the radio where he said that the purpose of government is to redistribute wealth. Oh, well, yeah. that's, that's exactly their history. I mean, if you look back, you know, the guy who uh, built Casa Loma, I think it was Henry Palat. Who, who brought electricity to Toronto. That's right. And he brought yeah. the electrified trains to Toronto, the, the streetcars. Those things were done, uh, you know, uh, early 1900s. And then, of course, it was the progressive conservatives who said, effectively, we're going to nationalize that stuff. So now you've got Ontario Hydro. You've got the TTC. Um, These things were never government-owned originally. These were private companies that were basically stolen from them. Even, even in fact, Casaloma was taken away from Henry Palat. Why? He couldn't pay his property taxes because they'd taken his business away. He ended up dying penniless in the street. This is progressive conservatives we're talking about, so-called right-wingers. I mean, they also... Could have been the Soviets doing the same thing. That's the kind of stories you heard repetitively in that part of the world. Right, and, and, you know, socially too, Bob, you see people who say, oh, well, uh, we're conservative, we're against uh, such things as the the human rights code because it doesn't have due process and et cetera. Well, they're the ones who brought it in. They brought in the human rights code. They brought in just about every socialist measure that right-wingers, if you want to call it that, uh, like to say is anti-conservative or unconservative. For example, they it was the progressive conservatives that gave us rent controls. They gave us uh, a, a monopoly on, like they banned private health insurance and gave us a monopoly OHIP. And That's to pay right. for it. Yeah, and, and to pay for, for it. They forced gave us, us into a single-payer system. <laughs> yep. And then they instituted the provincial income tax to pay for it. They also instituted the, you know, the the provincial sales tax. You know why it's called a provincial sales tax instead of a retail sales tax, which was the original name for it, was the opponents, their opponents uh, were going to use the name Robarts, who was the leader of the PC party and who was the premier at the time. They were going to call it the Robarts sales tax. So they changed the acronym to provincial sales tax, PST, so that that wouldn't stick. (laughs) (laughs) I kid you not. I have not heard that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, just about every left-wing socialist thing we have in Ontario was introduced not by the Liberals, who actually, by the way, opposed the nationalization of the, the electrical grid back in the, I think it was the 30s, uh, but by the progressive conservatives. And well, I thought it was also funny when uh, Steve Pakin reminded his, his viewers during the recent PC leadership debate last week or two weeks ago, that uh, the state-sponsored, state-financed, state-regulated provincial TV network, TVO, was created by Ontario PC leader Bill Davis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. It's so, like, yeah, Pravda, hello. Right, and if you look right now, Bob, uh, first of all, they, they've got this fellow, um, Patrick Brown, who was 
we won't go into what happened to him, but basically he had, he was forced to resign a few weeks ago. You've talked about it on the show. Yep. And um, uh, his platform, which he introduced in November for the party called the People's Guarantee, is a great big tax and spend socialist document. He says he's in favor of a carbon tax because he thinks climate change is real, man-made, and it's causing it's you know an imminent threat to humanity, and that therefore we have to tax carbon in order to fight climate change, which can't be done with taxes. But you know, there he goes doing it. He's going to give money away for people's teeth and money away for people's drugs and money away. I mean, it is a it is a liberal platform. In other words. It's an old, old style progressive conservative platform. It's exactly the kind of thing that Bill Davis and everyone before him brought in. Socialist. So, like, uh, so I guess we're dealing with the alt left, are we? That's exactly <laughs> what it is. If you want an alternative socialist party to the the one socialist party we've got, well, fine. It means you're fine with socialism. You want everything to continue pretty much the same way. Just read the platform. Uh, the people's guarantee. There's no change in there. And by the way, all of the people who are running for the leadership right now had to agree to to uh, support that platform as a condition of uh, being permitted to participate and to run for the the uh, leadership of that party. So it's not going anywhere. And they, they all say they're against the carbon tax, but the carbon tax they're talking about is a federal tax. They can't do anything about it if they tried. It's in the legislature. They could fight it in the courts, which is what uh, Freedom Party would do. But... Uh, what they're trying to make people believe is that somehow Patrick Brown was going to introduce a carbon tax and that they're not going to follow Patrick Brown's plan. That wasn't the case. It was So I guess there's a big difference between saying that you're against something and actually committing to doing something different about that something. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a distinction without a difference. It's that kind of thing, you know. But, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, anyone who's desperately upset with the way things have gotten in this province, from everything we talked about, about the Liberals, socially, politically, economically. the I'm telling you folks, this progressive conservative party is not an alternative to that. It's just the same thing in a different color. It's, it's liberal policy in a blue coat. That's it. You really have to think ahead. Where am I going to be? Not a week from now, not at the election time. Where are you going to be the next election? It's like 2022. Where are you going to be then? If Let's just say you elected a progressive conservative government. What would your life be like? And I'm telling you right now, it would be exactly the same as it would if you just left the liberals in power. I once went to a dinner, Bob. Uh, it was actually a lunch at a all-party affair with Elections Ontario. And I overheard a conversation between the representative of the Liberal Party and the representative of the Progressive Conservative Party. And they were re- recalling the good old days, you know, 10 years prior, when they all had been at the same law firm. And... Um, she said, this one person said, well, uh, you know, it was really good back then. It wasn't about left and right. It was just about power. <laughs> and that's all they cared about. They wanted to be in power. It's not about socialism versus, versus capitalism for them. It's not about left versus right. It's about red team versus blue team. And if all you care about is uh, sports teams, in other words, if, if, if you think politics should amount to nothing more than Eagles versus Patriots, but everyone's playing the exact same game, well, then vote for either of those because you're going to get the same result. But uh, if you're looking for an alternative to what you've got right now, a substantive alternative. Really, I don't see anyone out there proposing what Freedom Party is proposing, and that's a return to individuals being individuals, people competing on the basis of price for the lowest prices for the best goods. None of this, you owe it to your brother to give all your money to the government. What is your guide on this? 
my guide is my principles. Where uh, do you get them? Well, I'm a Christian, as you know. Okay, that's a fair point. We know what your faith is. I guess we should put on the record, if or if you want to, what uh, doctrine or what faith you follow. Ms. Elliott? I am an Anglican. Mr. Ford? I'm Protestant. As my dad always said, what do I have to be? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ms. Mulrooney? I'm a Catholic. Okay. Done. It is only after men have chosen slavery and dictatorship that they can begin the usual gang warfare of socialized countries. Today it is called pressure group warfare, over whose gang will rule, who will enslave whom, whose property will be plundered for whose benefit, who will be sacrificed to whose noble purpose. All such arguments come later and are in fact of no consequence. The results will always be the same. The first choice, and the only one that matters, is freedom or dictatorship, capitalism or socialism. That is the choice which today's political leaders are determined to evade. You're listening to Just Right Broadcasting Around the World and Online. Thank you to our financial supporters who've made it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support, and while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past archive broadcasts featuring discussions of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. And Paul, I think those are two words that no PC would ever utter out of their <laughs> mouths. I've never, ever heard those words, of all words, talked about by PCs, and yet that would be what I would have thought would be the right wing. And the right, you know? Well, and I think it in a proper system it would be. In a proper left-right system, it would be collectivism yeah. versus individualism and capitalism versus communism slash socialism. You're right. Paul, you suggested before our break that people should give a thought about where they will be in 2022. You're offering them, and we are offering them, an alternative, and that is the Freedom Party platform for this year, 2018, for the June election, which people can get. Why don't you tell them where it's at? Sure, they can go to Freedom Party, that's one word, freedomparty.onisandnancy.ca. And you'll see the sliders at the top, issue by issue. There's going to be 10 issues sliding across there. You can click on any of them and read what the plank is for that issue. Or you can click on the uh, party platform page and see uh, a table of contents that you can then read. You can download it in PDF. You can even listen to it in audiobook format, Bob. But Freedom Party is, has been the first and continues to be the only party that offers the platform in an audiobook format. So you don't even need to read. You can just listen to it in the car. Well, I have to tell you, even visually, this platform is something that is so different from anything anybody will see. I, I, you know, I, I can't take my eyes off the cover. It's, it's a work of art. Well, it literally yeah. is. It's by John Cox of yeah. Cox and Forkham uh, fame. And, and it has it's, that Atlas Shrugged feeling and the headings. It's, it's just a stunning piece, Paul. And, and I, I know how much work went into it, both on your part and all the other people that have been involved over the last while. I think this is uh, something that will really make anyone who actually sees it sit up and take notice. Oh, definitely. It's, it's a striking look. And uh, as I say, that was uh, that, that drawing of it is, in fact, called Atlas Shrugged. And it's 
Atlas having already shrugged off the weight of the world. So it's, uh, you know, and, and the, on the cover, of course, it says shrugging off 15 years of Kathleen Wynne. So you've really got to have a look at this thing and drink it all in because if you're actually interested in a better Ontario, this thing is going to knock your socks off. Yeah, there's a lot of subtlety in that cover that, you know, you can sit there and think about for a while, that's for sure. <laughs> well, especially in the sort of emasculated age that Kathleen Wynne wants us to all live in, this is a uh, sort of a in-your-face to Kathleen Wynne. It's, uh, anyway, people who look at the cover will get the idea. All right, so where do we go from here? Well, you know, I thought we should consider, like I was saying before, you know, what kind of world will you be living in? What kind of Ontario will you be living in in 2022 under two scenarios? So imagine, you know, uh, that the progressive conservatives, God help you, have won the June 7th, 2018 election and are governing. Where will Ontario be? What will your life be like in 2022? That's scenario one. And then scenario two would be, well, what would your life be like if instead on June 7th, 2018, you elected a freedom government? So we're looking at alternative realities, are we? Right. And we've got about <laughs> 10 planks in the uh, the Freedom Party platform. So I guess that's one way to do it. You could just say, okay, let's compare plank by plank where the two parties sit. So let's go ahead. Um, yeah. I've, I've got here, uh, let's start with climate change, for example, or putting a price on carbon. Now, the progressive conservatives, if they're true to their, their word, and all the leaders of that, uh, or leadership contestants for that party, had to swear that they would be supportive of the platform, which is a platform that says that they will fight climate change. So there's that. If you in 2022 have elected the, um, or have as your government, a, a PC government, you will still be spending money on this illusory effort to fight the climate. I don't know what that, what expectation they have there. You won't notice anything different because there won't be anything different. Mother Nature doesn't pay taxes. So she doesn't really care where our money gets moved around. Uh, you know, There will still be some kind of, of payment. And I would say that given what I know about the contestants, whether it's Christine Elliott or uh, Caroline Mulroney, there will still be either a, a um, cap and trade system like the one introduced by the Wynn Liberals, or there will be... Um, a carbon tax of some kind. I don't think they're going to do anything else but fight climate change. They have a long history of being uh, in favor of fighting climate change and not one of them, who is a contestant right now for the PCs, has said anything along the lines of we have to stop fighting climate change. They've only mouthed this idea that they don't like a carbon tax because they were familiar with the fact that, we're, that there were some big groans in the party when Patrick Brown said that they were going to introduce one or at least fight, put a price on carbon. Mm-hmm. Now, if on the other hand, um, you know, you've voted freedom and you've elected a freedom government in 2018, then in 2022, you will have four years have passed without a penny being spent on fighting climate change. In other words, not one dollar will be spent in any way, shape or form to fight climate change. And that means you'll have the exact same result in terms of the climate as you would under the PCs, but it won't have cost you anything. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, you'll have the exact same climate, but you won't have sp- spent billions and billions of dollars or rather redistributed that money to people who probably put it to, you know, their palatial estates because they're running wind farms and solar panels and, and, and gas plants and getting paid way above what the market would, would well, otherwise they're being, offer. They're being altruistic, don't you know? Oh, yeah, they're all helping us. But instead, you know, and if you look at the bills, okay, here's your PC bill in 2022. You open it up and it says zero electricity consumed because this is for your cottage, let's say, and delivery cost $89. 
Delivery of what? This is like saying you've got to pay for the delivery of a hamburger when you haven't even bought one. The same thing, uh, you know, cannot be said for the Freedom Party. There will be a different kind of bill. There won't be a global adjustment. You'll pay a per kilowatt price, a competitively determined one. You'll be able to choose from various competitors on price, and you just pay for the kilowatts that you actually get delivered. No special charges, no breakdown of this much for delivery, this much for distribution, this much for transmission, this much for global adjustment. And just if, you're using, per- if you're using none, the price is zero. The price is zero. Exactly yeah. right. Now... What about these uh, uh, solar panels and, and uh, wind turbines themselves? The popular myth is that we're stuck with the contracts that force us to pay exorbitant rates to these solar panel owners and, and wind turbine owners. And that is false. Uh, as recently as 2013, uh, the Court of Appeal of Ontario, we're not talking a trial level court, we're talking about the Court of Appeal. That's the court upstairs that, that, that trumps everything done by the trial courts. They said that... If you get into a game with the government like this, where they're, they're paying you above market rates, the government has the right to change its policy, to cancel the contract, and no penalty to the government. You couldn't sue the government. You couldn't take any money from the government. That would be the end of the game. Now, I'm not saying that people who have invested in wind and solar and gas plants, etc., should not be paid for what they supply, but they should have to compete on the basis of price, like everybody else, and shouldn't be given any special advantage. And that's the difference. If you if you are in 2022, you're looking over at the countryside and you're seeing lots of windmills, it's probably the case that someone's subsidizing them. In other words, it's probably the case that you voted Liberal or PC. If you're looking across the countryside and they're dismantling those windmills and solar panels, it's probably the case that you voted for a freedom government because once they're not <laughs> subsidized anymore, there's no point in having them up. You know, that public school curriculum is another one, Bob. Um, we, we all hear about the win sex ed agenda. Well, it's not just sex ed. But if you look at sex ed and what the leadership candidates are saying for the PCs right now, you've got Caroline Mulroney who said she would not touch it. You've got Patrick Brown who said he's fully in, in favor of it. He likes everything about it. He was, he was gushing with approval of the win sex ed agenda. Uh, the other ones are kind of saying, well, we'd consult more going forward, but they aren't saying they'd repeal it. The only one saying that, that she would repeal it is uh, Tanya Granick allen and she has about as much chance of winning as Santa Claus. So the, the progressive conservatives are not going to change the win agenda, whether it's gender or whether it's the experiential learning that takes the place of instruction or whether it's, uh, you know, the... Um, uh, the the whole language method that takes the place of using phonics to learn to read. They That's never talk the about these. They never talk about those things. So why would they even know about them? Well, they leave it to things like Oise Hall, you know, the the professional educators to destroy our children's minds. They just play, take care of the money uh, and let, yeah. let the leftists run the whole thing right. into the ground. Leave our children with you know grade 12 diplomas, but unable to read, unable to write, unable to add. You know, you get the idea. I'm not add. Hopefully they can add, but who knows? They're using calculators. That would be a very different thing in 2022 if you voted for a freedom government in 2018, because what we're proposing is that we reintroduce phonics in the reading uh, instruction. We reintroduce grammar so that books written prior to 1970 can actually be read still. We introduce not this experiential learning where someone says, go find out for yourself how, 
how many things there are. Like, is, is two plus yeah. two equal four? We're not going to tell you it does. You're going to Instru- find out for yourself. In- instructional learning has a history going back thousands of years. It works. It's effective. Yeah, it tends to work. You know, learn yeah. your 12 times tables. <laughs> it's not a sin to learn your 12 times tables. Memory and memorization is necessary to give you the fundamentals. You can question these things later in life, but as a child, you need a step-by-step logical progression. You don't start with politics and gender theory and et cetera in grade three. Those are university subjects. In fact, when I was in high school, they hadn't even taught politics in high school yet. That was something you studied in university. Nowadays, they have children encouraged to get out in the parking lot with, with signs and helping the teachers with their strike action. That should not happen, Bob. Instruction, not experiential learning, not gender studies, you know, teach children, of course, the biology of reproduction, but, and also teach them that it's illegal to be having sex before the age of 14 in this country. And they shouldn't be taught how to do it in case case they want to break the law, but rather how to report someone to the police if someone's touching them before they're age 14. It's not just the, the, the grade schools, you know, it's the universities as well. What are we seeing on our university campuses? Well, we're seeing that... Hey, I used, to, it, I used to do this show for several years from university campus, and I don't want to tell you what I saw. Well, you got bumped <laughs> off the air, didn't you? Because that's, you were being politically incorrect. And, I and, you joined know, the victim culture. Yep. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so. Exactly. And, and you were, you know, you were aware of, of the whole um, process where, uh, oh, Coulter. Coulter was being brought to University of and Ottawa. Coulter, yep. Yeah. And what happened there? Someone threatened some violence. Uh, the university says, that's okay. We're going to shut the event down. We don't want to deal with that. And so this same process has been playing itself over uh, guest speaker after guest speaker. We had um, mentioned uh, uh, Professor Peterson there, or, um, Jordan Peterson over at McMaster, where he sat in a chair at McMaster University while people were blasting blowhorns in his face and yelling and screaming and hitting drums so that nobody in the audience could hear what he had to say. Why, you know, it's understandable that universities should be letting this happen, I suppose is the way to put it. In some cases, yes, they're ideologically in favor of shutting down certain speakers, but I think it's also the case that they simply don't have the means, and I mean the policing, the force, to keep people who are disturbing the peace from disturbing the peace. So, you know, where would we be four years from now with a liberal or PC government? I don't think we'd be in any different place. This is the exact kind of uh, milieu that they want. This is what we've been seeing. You know, it wasn't just uh, Kathleen Kathleen Wynne who was quick to pull the trigger and say that uh, PC leader Patrick Brown, you know, uh, was implicitly saying that that Patrick Brown was guilty by saying that these people who were accusing him anonymously were brave to come forward. It was all of the other PC leadership candidates who basically said the same thing, that he shouldn't be running, that, uh, you know, he should be presumed to be a person under a cloud. Nobody who runs a party like that or wants a party to be run like that can be expected to run our universities any differently. They will let the left run roughshod over guest speakers. They will allow the uh, universities to uh, impose speech codes, strange codes of, of conduct, Strange hearings where students who are accused of things get kicked out of university without, a, without due process. Not a good thing. So I think what, uh, you know, the big difference you'll see there in the universities under a freedom government would be 
that the Ontario government would provide the universities with the policing resources they need to make sure that the hooligans and the violence threateners and the people who come there with the blowhorns don't get to carry out their plans. And so that that way, everybody can speak freely, use, you know, free speech is defended, ideas get exchanged and debated. That's what we need to return to, islands of civility in an otherwise uncivil uh, world in these universities. The universities really should be ivory towers, not, not mud swamps, and that's what they've become. And I think that's what you would see as a big difference between a freedom government and a PC government in 2022. We are sitting here in the Bill Davis studio. It's the William G. Davis studio. We've named it after him because he's the founder of TVO and was Minister of Education in the province for almost a decade. And he once said that if you get education right, everything else falls into place. So my question for the four of you is, you know the education system in the province of Ontario today. Tell me one thing you, one thing you think it is not doing well that under your administration you would aim to improve. I know all four of you are against the current sex ed curriculum in the province of Ontario. Uh, could I interject there? I don't believe everybody here is against the I sex agree. ed curriculum. In fact, I don't think anybody here is against the sex ed curriculum. I've, I've heard some people say they will review it. Nobody has said they're against the sex ed curriculum. All right, well, let's educate the host here, everybody. You want to say you're, you are, do you think the sex they're, ed they're curriculum needs updating? What would you take Steve, out? Steve, I'm not going to get into the details. Ms. Elliott, you want to be so, more specific about what you'd take out? So maybe something that children are learning in grade two now, they should learn in grade eight or nine or ten. Ms. Mulroney. I am not going to reopen the curriculum. You're George McFly. Yeah, who are you? Say, what do you let those boys push you around like that for? Well, they're bigger than me. Stand tall, boy. Have some respect for yourself. Don't you know if you let people walk over you now, they'll be walking over you for the rest of your life. Look at me. You think I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this slop house? Watch it, Goldie. No, sir. I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to night school. And one day, I'm going to be somebody. That's right. He's going to be mayor. Yeah, I'm going to... Mayor! Now that's a good idea. I could run for mayor. A colored mayor, that'll be the day. You wait and see, Mr. Carruthers. I will be mayor. I'll be the most powerful man in Hill Valley, and I'm gonna clean up this town. Good. You can start by sweeping the floor. Mayor Goldie Wilson. I like the sound of that. Now, one of the big questions on everybody's mind, of course, going into any election, especially federally and provincially, is the budget. How are you going to afford to do all this? What happens with the budget? And I know that you, on February 1st, Paul, addressed the pre-budget consultation hearings that were held in uh, Durham Banquet Hall and Conference Center in Oshawa, and they actually changed the whole process of the meeting to address what you had said. I, th- I found that I found that very interesting that after telling everybody, we're going to do it this way, no exceptions, right after you speak, they make an, make an exception. Yeah, well, what happened was the, the finance minister was there. He was the main, you know, guest of honor. He gave his speech, and then everyone was to- in the room. There were about 36 presenters. I was the second one in the, in the order. They were all told, okay, we're only here for an hour and a half. You each get three minutes. We do it rapid fire, back to back. There's no time for questions or anything like that. So the first guy to go was the mayor of uh, Clarington. And then, then I went up and gave my three-minute speech. And all of a sudden, we hear the finance minister saying, um, 
yeah, I think I need to respond to that. <laughs> and he gave a seven-minute presentation responding to my three-minute presentation before the rest of the presenters could go on. And uh, by the way, we've got that entire recording in the Freedom Party archives. If you want to go to the freedompartyon.ca slash archive, you'll see that there. You'll hear both my, my presentation and the finance minister's response. So he up, the, we, we upset the whole process just by speaking truth to power, as it were. But all, it's, what all, I was, it's always the emperor wears no clothes, isn't it? It really is. And, and you know, he was there with everybody else, you know, saying, please, I want money for this. Please, I want money for that. I had a different tack. I said, look, you're going to need to balance the budget going forward. Here's four ways not to do it. That Four ways that are always said to be the way that it's going to be done, but that never work. So the first yeah, that's was... an interesting approach. Like, instead of giving your advice of what to do, make it clear that here's what you don't do. Right. And in fact, and you can't do, right? It right. just doesn't and work. I, somehow I have a feeling those are the things that they're always doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and those, are the, those are the ways they always say, I mean, you're going to hear these words like out of every party's mouths. You know, they say, oh, well, you know, we've got to keep health and education and welfare. They're, they're to the side. We're not going to make any cuts to those. We're going to make cuts to other things so we can preserve those. Well, you can't do that. Health and education together with, with payments on the debt consume virtually every, every dollar that's raised in revenue by the province. That's before you even talk about any it of the never, other... It never occurs to them that you can improve health care and education, anything, through tax cuts. That's right. You know, or or through other, or competitive options. Competitive yeah, options. Uh, so that was one. That's the one, you know, the, the big one. Everything needs to be on the table if you're going to be trying to balance the budget. You can't hold certain things to be sacred cows. Uh, the second one, they always want to say, well, we'll eliminate agencies, boards, and commissions. We've got an abundance of agencies, boards, and commissions. We've got to cut back on some of these. Well, these things are all funded by the ministries that they say they're not going to cut. So, you know, the biggest ABCs are under healthcare, education, and welfare. So where are you going to cut? If you're not going to cut those ministries, you can't cut the ABCs under them. It, it won't save any money at all. And then another one you'll hear. Well, we're going to eliminate waste and cut red tape. I heard Rob Ford talk about that. Or not oh, Rob Ford, Doug God, Ford. That's, I've heard... Everybody say that. I mean, it's so, you know, mom and apple pie kind of thing. Right, yeah. You got Doug Ford out there. You think we can't find 2% of waste? Well, listen, the, the, the budget, I mean, inflation's at 2% annually. He'd have to find every, anyway, it's, it's a ridiculous thing. It, it makes people think that he's got a plan when he doesn't have any plan at all. And neither, neither does any other politician that talks about balancing the budget by eliminating waste and cutting red tape. The fact of the matter is they're spending on too many programs. They're doing tr too many things that have nothing to do with good governance. And they've got to stop doing that. Then they'll be able to balance their budget just fine. And the last non-solution, this is the, I like to call it the Annie state, Bob. This is where the sun will come out tomorrow. And tomorrow's always a day away. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I think the anti state is the one that actually curled his hair the most and caused him to get up and uh, give his speech. But, you know, you cannot say that, well, we don't have the money right now, so we'll just run a deficit. But we have predictions that the money's going to be much better. The business is going to turn around and the economy is going to be stronger over the next five years. And eventually, the, the, you know, the balance, the budget will just balance itself. This is the whole Trudeau approach too. you know. So that's the thing. We would take none of those approaches in balancing our budget. We're promising Freedom Party would balance the budget, very first budget, which is the 2019 year, uh, and every, every year thereafter. Everything's on the table. Priorities have to be set. It's not about cutting red tape and waiting for revenues to come in tomorrow. It's about making principled uh, decisions. Now, there's a couple other things in the platform we should just briefly touch on, Bob. 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I talked about how the, the uh, cannabis uh, is going to be made uh, legal for recreational purposes. Freedom Party is saying that that Kathleen Wynne monopoly, we would just get rid of that altogether. There would be no government stores, there w- and you wouldn't be limited to smoking in your own uh, house. You know, that's ridiculous. And what we've comes done back is... To, comes back to that old saying, you know, the government should be a referee, not a player in the game. Exactly right. Let those stores, you know, like we had ca- Cannabis Culture and a whole number of other dispensaries in Toronto and other cities selling uh, cannabis illegally, we'll let them do it legally. What's the difference? They're already set up. Uh, license them, make sure nobody's serving minors, and you're good to go. They They have more expertise in knowing what people want and where to get it, and et cetera, than uh, any government employee could ever do. Um, and then finally, you know, they've, they've, as I said, they voted themselves this $10 per ballot uh, funding for the political parties. That goes. And I noticed, by well, the way... that's that something Doug, that sure burned my butt, let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, and, and I found <laughs> it very... It's a very odd thing to talk about, which, you know, after we put out our platform, I think it was one day after we put the platform out, Doug Ford comes out and says he's going to get rid of the, t- <laughs> the political party funding. And it came out of total right field, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because a totally unspoken thing from anybody until that day. Right. And it's really funny because it seems to me that the whole funding of political parties issue has gone under the radar for most of the media and everyone's attention. And you have to be very careful here. This election is very different in the sense that you could truly argue that no vote is a wasted vote because every vote cast costs money. Right. To the and taxpayer. funds parties. That's right. And funds directly parties. So for every vote that Freedom Party gets, we will get funding from the from the government. We're not in favor of this. Okay. Yeah, we have to pass a threshold. They tried to set the threshold so high that we wouldn't qualify, but I think we've well, managed we actually, to... we did actually qualify in a couple of ridings in the last election, and it'll be a yeah. lot easier now going into this one, knowing that this is going to happen. That was done retroactively without our, our knowledge, even. Right. Yeah, the party didn't get any money, but the riding association did. The riding associations, right? yeah. For, yeah. For us, it'll be at the riding association level. Well, Bob, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've covered the ground covered by the platform. I think people by now should understand that if they want an alternative to the Liberals, they're not going to get it by voting for the PCs. That's, they'll get a different color of party, but they won't get anything changed in terms of our, what our children are being taught in schools, what we're being taxed, windmills, solar panels, etc. It's going to remain the same if you vote PC. And uh, hopefully people will, especially knowing that the, the, when they pass the ballot, the money will go to the party of, of their choice. They, they will they will take that ballot a little bit more seriously, vote for Freedom Party, who will then promptly vote to get rid of that uh, funding and save those people all that money in the first place. So, Remember, you're always throwing away your vote every time you vote first and ask questions later. <laughs> it, it happens every time. I see people vote for some party and then they go, holy cow, what did I vote for? Yeah, it's right? back to the future. Always, it, always the same. They think they're going to get something <laughs> different, but really they're just voting the same thing with a, with a different color. And that's because they never choose to try something a little different and a little better. And in fact, as I say in my, my opening comment there in the platform, it's better to uh, part with the old and embrace the good. I think that's what we need to do. I agree. And Speaking from my bias point of view, along with yours, thanks for joining us today, Paul. I'm glad glad to have this conversation. Oh, my and pleasure. It, 
And it's Freedom Party, still right for Ontario, always was, and will always be moving in the right direction. And you can visit www.freedomparty.on.ca to see what we've been talking about today. And speaking of right directions, that's the direction we will continue next week, so be sure to join us. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. I'd like to speak to you about your iron ratio. You fell for it. Uh -uh. You mean you knew it was going to rain outside? Sure, I heard it on the radio. (laughs) Then why did you tell me to go out without my raincoat umbrella? I was splinking. Well, Mark, you might call it splinking, but we humans call it lying, and it isn't acceptable behavior. Just (laughs) promise me that you won't do any more splinking or lying. I promise. I didn't think you'd mind getting wet. Look at me, I'm dripping. My clothes are soggy and my skin is all wet. I hate getting wet. I'm gonna go take a shower.